They're bringing pronouns into our military, and my pronoun is sick and tired of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, Senator one not pronoun is going to be former senator. That's what his pronoun is going to be. Former senator. Democrats were shuddering privately just a few days ago about how big the margin was going to be. Republicans were predicting a red wave, but they may end up with the same slim majority Democrats have had for the last two years. We are going to take the House back. But we've got so much more to do, and I have only begun to fight. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Uh, fellas, it's been a long week, and we're going to have some tough talk yeah. on the program. Well, at least y'all are all back. I know yeah. everyone's been like across the country working, uh, uh, getting Republicans elected. Let's hear Let's hear what happened. Yeah, no, we're going to have some tough talk. But you know what? Like, look, you you listen to the Ruthless Variety program for this like sort of inside info stuff, but also you like to have a good time. Yeah. And we it, here's the thing. We're going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Going forward, we're going to have a good time. Today's probably not the good timey. Mm-hmm. Time, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, again, like I got to reiterate the fact that and and this is multiple projections. Like even uh what's his name Wasserman has the same projection that like more and more day by day, hour by hour, it looks like Republicans got the house. So a lot of the important work in terms of investigations for the horrible things this current administration has done are going to happen. Yeah. Well, last Tuesday was a disappointment. There's no way around that. But we actually have a very good opportunity to pick up this Georgia seat in the runoff. And everybody heard from Herschel Walker, our terrific candidate. It's gray the, line. Yeah. Very gray good. line. The pronoun line. I like that. We're all working overtime for Herschel. Yeah, everybody's working on that. And, and look, it, it's important to remember that these Senate seats are six years long, right? You don't ever want to leave one on the field. Mm-hmm. And just because people are dispirited about the outcome of the election, the idea that you have to live with Raphael Warnock for six long and years. And he is a, a horrible, horrible legislator. The worst. Like, votes for every awful idea the left will put in front of him. The worst. But we have an opportunity to pick up that seat. I mean, Brian Kemp, the governor of the state of Georgia, won going away. He had, like, a 200-person field team that helped him get over the top. And that field team is now part of the Herschel Walker I heard about orbit, that. right? That's is that, that's, yeah, that's, no. So it was announced last week that the Senate Leadership Fund basically basically bought the, the Kemp campaign. And that's the McConnell-allied group, yeah, that, Senate Leadership Yeah, so, so they basically just reinstituted that campaign to not stop doing what they're doing, but now do it on behalf of Herschel Walker, which, look, I think if it, we're going to get into this as we talk about what went wrong. But a big part of that is field. And I think, yeah, and, and, and it's important to point out, this is the same field team that Kemp, uh, you know, avoided any sort of a runoff. How, how much did he, did he crush Abrams by? I mean, it, I don't even I mean, he made it very clear. He, and he, he, he beat her going away. But one of the criticisms you hear uh, across the map is Republicans' inability to put votes in the box. Our, our shortcomings on field and how Democrats beat us on vote harvesting and on early vote and everything else. Yeah, I want to talk about that. What Brian Kemp did in Georgia is something that points to the future for Republicans because it is about organizing. It is about winning by putting votes in the box. That's right. That's right. So we're going to talk a lot about about uh, like the misconceptions 
the misinformation about what's going on. Right. You know, I th- and I think stats. Right, and I think this is really important because, you know, I was in Nevada when you guys did the episode yep. that dropped on on Thursday, which I thought was a great show, guys. And I appreciate you still putting it out despite the fact that you hadn't slept <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, you could barely tell. Yeah. Um, and I think it, you guys did a good job of putting everything in, per, in perspective. But I think now that we are a full week later, there's so much out there of people saying, was this the reason? Was this the reason? Is that a problem? Is this a success? And I think this show is really important because I think we need to tick through a lot of this stuff and get everyone's thoughts so that you know the listeners feel like they're armed with the best information Mm -hmm. yeah totally because there's also like you have to also understand the table stakes for having an opinion on something like this right Mm -hmm. right you got to have skin in the game and have been like literally working your ass off to try to make it happen in order to understand what went wrong when you sit on the sidelines and you sort of pontificate or or try to roll in with some kind of a, a political way like you don't these are all taught what you're hearing right now is rhetoric that, that that's the thing that upsets me the most is you know i mean we've all been in the boat in the water when the storm comes and the waves get choppy and there's a whole lot of folks that are sitting on the shore talking about the weather yeah right. who don't have a fucking oar in the water right like if you've got a problem get in the boat right start rowing we're rowing the boat right you're sitting on the shore right you know what i mean right you don't. You, that's the that's the table stakes that I'm talking right, about. Right, right, right. You got to be in the boat, right, to understand it. First off, I want to thank all the minions and all of your li- of our listeners for getting involved, working their asses off, hundred percent to to mixed results. Right. I mean, it depends on where you live. You live in Texas and Florida and Georgia. You know, look, there's a lot of things to celebrate. Um. Even New York, even our listeners in New York, right. yeah, were making those calls, boots on the ground. I mean, that uh, a huge bright spot. Lee Zeldin, absolute hero. Uh, that that race he ran and lifted so many House Republicans that were running there, flipped so many seats. Well, Outstanding work. Well, and, work the, and, and the other thing I would throw in there, um, Nevada. Okay, so it looks like you know maybe we'll come up a little short there in some of the races, including the Senate race. Um, but I'm a big believer in, you know, you win by building and you build by winning. Look, we won the governor's race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We won like half of the statewide races in Nevada. Yeah. This is a blue state that was like plus three Biden, you know, two years ago. And now we're winning half the statewide races against the, you know, famed culinary union and the Reed machine. Now, look, I mean, they, they won some races. We won some races. But it's better than we were last cycle. No question about it. You know? I, I do think it's worth addressing because the last program we had, we had good reason to believe that Adam Laxalt was on track to win that race. Right. And I just want to explain that for a minute because there's an awful lot of people who who took what we were saying and, and believed we were going to get there. Let me just say, I believe deeply and sincerely that we were. And the reason that I did is because... I looked at all of the early vote and mail that had come in from the first week it was possible in early October all the way through to election day. And there wasn't one day, not one day, that the mail and early vote exceeded 60% of Democratic turnout. And that's supposed to be their strongest point in the election. It has been historically. It is in almost every other state. 
it's supposed to be where Democrats excel. They bank a lot of early votes. Right. And you saw that in Pennsylvania, that was true. Right. right? That's and what they did. I got a nuts and bolts question. How do they bank those votes? Like, what is the process? Well, so, so look, Democrats in and of themselves, in large part institutionally, have been more geared to vote early and vote by mail than Republicans. I will say it's not, it hasn't historically always been the case. In fact, historically speaking, in places like Arizona or Colorado, uh, Republicans have done just as well, if not better, than Republicans or than Democrats have on it. But during the Trump years, there was a heavy segment of the Republican base that were convinced that voting by mail or voting early or voting in some other way other than election day was fraud. I'm glad that you 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 brought this up because just so that folks know, I mean, I know that the everybody listening to this show is not the biggest John McCain fan in the world. I'm not. But it, okay. But John McCain won in 2016 in the primary. He won before election day because he had an organized effort to put early votes in the bank. He mm-hmm. won uh, the, his general before election day because he had a professional effort to put early votes in the bank. And he is the last guy as a senator to win, as a Republican senator, to win statewide in Arizona. And I just think that across the map, particularly in Arizona, but across the map, we can learn from that campaign and what it takes to win a campaign in terms of professionalism. You have to be not, professional not, not, about not, not just from that campaign. I think in general. So me personally, I voted early. You can and 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 I could go back and I could check and see. Yes, I I, it, I was marked as having voted, and I think that's critical and that's important. Is that culturally there's a huge problem on our side of folks feeling like if if I don't show up on game day, my vote is not going to count and it's going to be right. stolen. And it, the thing is, is that 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 kind of a belief does not exist on the left, and they they are banking them. They're right. banking them. It, it has nothing to do with whether you agree with John McCain's vote on Obamacare. It has everything to do with are you willing to adopt the tactics that his campaign and the people and who are professionals campaign, like use. Every, like every, every so many Republican winning campaigns focus on early voting right, right. and absentee voting and banking and I, the votes. Yeah, yeah, except, guys, let, let me let me take a step back because it started because of Nevada, right? So what had to happen for Catherine Cortez Masto to catch Adam Laxalt was to have 63-plus percent of the votes counted after Election Day go to her side, Right. He had a lead of 28, 25, 27,000 votes right. on election day. She needed to win 63% of that last remaining vote in order to get back in the ball game. If you looked at all the statistics of the early vote when we're supposed to be the Democratic stronghold, you were to say there's no way she can statistically get there, mm-hmm. which is what I said. Basically, barring statistic improbability, Adam's going to win this race, right? Well, it turns out they turned out an incredible number of people in these drop boxes on election day, mm-hmm. right? They have ballot harvesting mm-hmm. in Nevada, right? This is a practice that should be outlawed in every state in America, by the way. I heard a lot of stories from folks talking about this, pro- especially when it comes to that culinary of basically they were showing up to folks who were who were. Uh, you know, when you're working on a campaign, you want to look at your likely voters. 
you know, you look at, is this a primary voter? Is this someone who votes in previous elections? They were going for, like, the low-hanging fruit of people who absolutely would not show up. And Culinary shows up with a ballot and is like, hey, uh, we're going to vote, you know, straight ticket Dem. Is that cool with you? Uh, we're going to turn in the ballot. If they have a problem with it, I'll show up to cure your ballot with a signature. And, and, and they'll be like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like, so they, so they, they are not going after voters because, like, I feel like a, a significant problem is right now Republicans are in a situation when we're for, – for cultural reasons, Republicans have been told your vote won't count unless it's on game day. So right now the Republican message is I want you for free to get in your car, find time in your day. Drive to a poll site. Vote for a person. But, but that, dude, that is as opposed to however, a culinary is showing up on, with a ballot on. and being like, "All right, bro." Yeah, but but smug, that isn't true. That isn't true. The, that the isn't the thing. Is hundred percent true. No, 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 no. I'm saying that's not the Republican message here. I have I have sent literally millions of text messages to Republican in the bank voters um, during absentee and early vote. And I can tell you, 90% of the responses, if people respond to those text messages saying, hey, you know, return your ballot or vote early, why don't you? They say, oh, well, that vote won't count. I'm voting on election day. That's the thing. And the problem is, let's just be honest here. Donald Trump poisoned the well with so many of these people. And it's put us us at a disadvantage where we're gambling every election day. That's reality. In Florida, it is incumbent on the state party and the leadership in these states to change that that culture, like everywhere. But I just don't want us to look at this issue of like vote method, whether it be, um, you know, mail or early vote or election day and think like this is the reason we came up short, because I just don't think the evidence is actually there on the margins. Yes, let's do it. We should encourage it. We should change the culture. But like Lombardo, the Republican won for governor in Nevada. You look in New Hampshire, where there's the least amount of absentee early vote, where most voters show up on election day and Bulldog got just destroyed yeah got destroyed so i just don't think looking at the issue there of absentee or mail or whatever and saying you know republicans can't win because this is unfair is actually true i think it's a cop-out for the other issues we have to discuss today i I agree with you except for there is an institutional issue here there is i a hundred percent right ground issue is a huge problem from from an infrastructure standpoint the reason that Democrats want ballot harvesting. Mm-hmm. The reason that they want auto reg and auto mail out is because they know that a disproportionate number of their voters live in urban areas where it's very easy 100% true. to go through and gather these ballots, yes. right? If you were to try to ballot harvest, and which, look, in Nevada, perfect example, right? We, we put more GOTV dollars into that race than any Senate race that I've ever been a part of times three. Mm-hmm. Way more. Way, way more. It wasn't that anybody missed the ball on that. Everybody knew exactly what was going to happen. You put a ton of money into it. The problem is you got to drive 500 miles to pick up 35 votes. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is, we're talking about the distinction between a voting electorate that is predominantly suburban and rural versus an urban electorate. But back to the issue of mail. Donald Trump said the mail stuff, well, it's not going to count. And if you're in a state in Nevada, especially like Nevada, where that Republican vote is so disparate and so rural, right? Like if you can't pe- get people to put it back in the mail, it we're always going to be fighting. And let me, t- let me tell you an example. So this is a, a personal anecdote from, from the work that I've done in Republican politics in New York is um, 
we so in New York City, the folks who know politics there, there is the culture among Dems of you, you get your building captains, right? Because there's apartment complexes that have like, you know, 100 units in there. So they want a building captain, which is basically someone who's going to open the front door. Because as long as you get in that front door, you can go door to door and be like, oh, you know, I banked 100 votes in 10 minutes of work, right? So that field operation for Dems who have who have a, a huge advantage in terms of voters in those areas, yeah, they definitely got that. A hundred percent. Which is opposed to Republicans who knock on the door and say, hey, I hope you can support our candidate. Yeah. Right? They're they're actually sh- showing up, knocking on the door and say, hand me your ballot. Right. Right? Right. It, it, it is a big difference. The institutional piece of ballot harvesting, I'm not sure we're ever going to overcome. I and, really I really don't think we're going to ever. It should be outlawed, honestly. Like states should outlaw. It's, it's absurd that employers... And, and union captains can basically dictate to people to hand them their ballot, that should be outlawed. And, 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 I, I agree that. I, th- I think it's absurd. I, I, I think it should be outlawed. But I just think that until it is, it's incumbent upon Republicans to ask themselves, what is it that we can do to take advantage right. of the rules that are there in front of us? How? Can a guy like John McCain, who anybody listening to this show is not a huge fan of, how can he get across the finish line? But Carrie Lake, who everybody listening to this show is loves, is struggling to get there. And you need to ask yourself that question. Well, because I, I think that the difference between the two things, I mean, separately from their messages and everything like that, I think the difference between the two has to do with tactics. And, and, and another thing I want to add is, so so one of the reasons so I was appointed to the Board of Elections is because there was this very significant problem that happened in an election in 2010 where we had Republican voters uh, turned away from poll sites, elderly Republican voters turned away from poll sites because they were told by poll workers there, oh, this is a Democrat poll site. You need to go home. You need to figure out where your Republican poll site is. So if you're like a, a if you're like a, a 75 year old elderly person who's already had to like walk walk to your poll site, yeah, you're like, well, I tried, dude. Like, I mean, you know, look, there, I, I'm told I need to go to on a computer and find my poll site. But that's not so, what happened here. Well, here's the thing: is so 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 I was appointed because a problem is we 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 had a situation in Manhattan where. Uh, well, across New York City, where seven, so so you're supposed to have 50% of poll workers Republican, 50% of poll workers Democrat. We had over 80% of poll workers being Democrats, right? So so this belief that like as long as I vote in person, as long as I show up to the poll site, I don't know where that belief is coming from. <laughs> right, you, like I personally, me personally, I went, I voted early. I wanted to make sure I don't know where I'm going to be. On, on, on game day, I don't know what could happen. I have time right now. I want to bank this vote for Ted Budd. I right. want to do it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I look. I think. Look. Let me just wrap up the Nevada piece. Right. Of this because that's the one that we were involved in. Uh, those of you who have listened to this show know how me personally and most of the people here are agony to defeat people. Oh yeah. Um. This one is is as hard to stomach for me as anything I've ever been a part of professionally. Uh, it, I mean, I sat in like a dark room by myself on Saturday, and I couldn't even process it. Uh, it, it, 
like we put everything we can into this shit. And I think what bothers me most of all of the post-election recriminations and like whose fault it, it all is, is who lays it on the field and who doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean who's talking about it and who's not. Right. 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 Like there is not an ounce of energy more that I, I feel like I could have put into that thing. Mm. And I know the assembled group feels the same way. I fucking hate losing. I, I don't even like winning. To be honest with you, I win, and it's like, it, it, great, we're moving on. What's the next battle? The loss, it just fucking hangs on me. I can't think about anything else. I, the only thing that got me out of this at all was a Viking victory against the Bills at, at Buffalo, or otherwise, like I would have had a, a, a straight-line depression from, right. from the moment that he went underwater till right now. I, I got to say, though, Adam Laxalt, what a happy warrior. I was with him on election night in Vegas. Whether it was good news, whether it was bad news, he was the most pleasant person in the room. I'm so, you know, with, I'm like, so with all, mad, dude. Like with so all the, with all so the campaign staff and the whole leadership and results coming in, and there were some bleak times on election night where things didn't yep. look so great before he started reeling her back in, right? Yep. Like as more of those votes got added from election day and he takes the lead, before any of that, he was still cool as a cucumber, positive, nice to everyone. It speaks a lot to somebody's character that they can be like that when their name is on the TV yeah. all night. Yeah. You know, that's and, and that's also tough. shout out to Katrina Bruce, who like basically ran the whole campaign's finances. Yeah. You know? I mean like she did an incredible, incredible job. Uh, I just can't speak enough. I about can't. I mean, look, we've had, we've had incredible memories on that race, but I just fucking hate it. It makes you know what? It. And like, this is the thing: is like, I have I have a lot of like frustration and anger, and it's why I spent a good portion of of the past weekend trying to like dig through data and and find reasons for this because I feel like so much of the 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 the, the chatter that we see is qualitative, and I wanted to find quantitative data. You know, when I look at things that like okay, Dems are like ballot harvesting and banking these ballots, but I'm so mad because like it just feels like the election will continue until Dems find uh, the number of oh, ballots it's, that it's they the need. Feeling. I mean, honestly, it, it and it's just like it's like fuck this. Like I'm like. How long, how long, like, I remember election day lasting three hours right. until polls closed, right? And yeah. now it's like, well, the yeah. Dems are still finding ballots. That's what it it's feels like. Oh, well, the, like, what happened? That's yeah. what it feels like. But you know, a place where nobody was waiting three hours to figure out the outcome is Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And 45 minutes. Yeah. Governor Ronnie D smoked the entire opposition and this is not a state i mean i know that there are republicans in the state but i mean he won counties he won miami but he won Dave. miami he won independence he won latino he won you know hispanic voters he he was he really really showed imagine republicans managing the way a state to the point that you can have an election that operates in a normal fashion what yeah. happened to competency no i mean seriously i think i think there is a big thing that that goes into the state legislatures who actually normalize their election procedures post 2020. Yeah, I mean that. Right? That's a huge part of. I think. All of this. I think there is. I think there is something to that. Look, what you guys said about about Trump basically creating an environment where Republicans believed you can't early vote and you can't vote by mail. Mm -hmm. That's a situation, right? I also think it's worth look. It's worth running through the numbers here 
on where the overperformance and underperformance is. Because remember, when we look at the national map, right? Republicans actually, from the from a pure popular vote standpoint, did pretty well. Did That's pretty the thing. Well. It's, it, and, and it makes me mad because it was like a, this meme in a presidential year, in a presidential, because we have an electoral college where Dems would be like, oh, wow, you know, what about popular vote? Oh, we vote? won the it's popular like, vote. Well, uh, we have an electoral college, right? But yeah. when in House races, Republicans have an edge. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, look, we might win. We might win the national popular vote in this midterm by a couple million votes. Like, I don't know how it's actually going to shake out totally once they completely count California and New York or anything. But like, to barely get to a majority, right? Like, the redistricting was a disaster. So that is, can we just so say that? that is that is something that I spent a lot of time looking through the data. And like uh, uh, reading these ridiculous like econometric pieces about how redistricting worked. Yeah, and that's, that was the liberal media. We got so 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 Republicans got hosed on Crushed. redistricting when we we were so we have a trust apparently that's supposed to like manage redistricting for us. Who who runs this thing? I, I have no idea. I, so I still don't know. I tried to find out. I tried to find out. So here's here's what's crazy to me is. So, uh, you know, when you hear all these reports of like, oh, gosh, there's going to be a red wave. And then after the election happens and all these ballots are being processed, you see that Republicans have a 5% lead right. on on Democrats. It doesn't make sense to me because, like, House seats are supposed to be proportionate. Well, we got hosed on redistricting because there was – the uh, I saw this research paper put up by somebody this weekend. Uh, I can't remember the name of the reporter where they drew it by the old lines. The previous lines, and we had twenty seats gained. Right, Republicans. Yep. Right, you would you would. We think. got hosed no. on redistricting. You would think our party would put together an effort to try to help Republicans win in redistricting. There's Evidently, some, there, there's we a didn't redistricting really do trust. That. I don't know who's somebody who, who runs this thing. Who runs? That, that, that's the goal I literally of the program. Have been trying to find out the, if, the, if the goal you know of the runs program. The What's just a who done it? No, I want to know. You mean I, some? You mean somebody tried and they they finished this way? Well, yeah. you're, you're telling me that somebody actually, of course, put an, a nine to five job together to try to help Republicans on redistricting, and and this was the outcome. Yeah, no, not only that, but they were convinced at the end that redistricting alone was going to get us over the top. Yeah, I, I mean, mean that's what we were told. That's what we were told. That's what we were told. And, and like, look, you have court challenges. New right. York worked right. out for us. Pennsylvania didn't. Right. You know, Ohio didn't. California kind of did. I mean, there, there, there's a whole bunch of. Florida was great. There, Dude, I think there's a whole bunch. Well, Florida was is, great because Ronnie D ran it. Right. This is an issue that really, I, I, like, I'm stunned. Once I found this data, I was like, I, I have to be wrong. I have to be wrong. And I, I, this past weekend, the number of phone calls I've made to people on the ground in states, I've called people in California, like, how, how, how did Republicans there do it? Like, I've called coast to coast. And this problem that is not being discussed of how we got hosed on redistricting, where we would have had t- over 
20 more house members how do we get host there's some like it, 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 there's like a black box of like super oh secret. yes like i mean I, dude i the amount of research i did the program's gonna like, figure this out well, let's for you. Well, let's let's the redistricting trust Wh- who the hell are these people and how do they fuck up so badly we need to figure that out i think the more important thing right now though for the listeners to realize is we're stuck with this map for the next decade 10 because, years because for the next this, this fucking trust fuck right us, right dude. for the next 10 years until they redistrict we, the country again we're I'm stuck in, with this i'm a little embarrassed to to admit you know when we had dan constant on mm-hmm. the program when we were talking about it and he said if we won every trump district we would get to 209 right that's what he was talking about. But that should have been a, an alarm bell yeah, in dude, my head. That should have been. And and what what it what it said to me was like, okay, well, you know, obviously Trump doesn't have a governing majority. He lost the election, but because we right. need two eighteen we'll, we'll, for the speaker, and if we'll, we can get to two hundred nine with Trump districts, means we got fucking hosed. Okay, that should you're you're hundred percent right. Just just that just, should have been just like, oh, what the fuck happened? Just I'm just for a level setting. Uh, can we please just for for folks who don't understand or may not you know we have a highly educated audience but for anybody who may not understand how redistricting works mm-hmm. uh, it's maybe, different maybe, every state yeah maybe we should just walk through this it's a 10 year thing and uh, maybe we should just talk about how well it's that different in every works. state and there's some states that have done redistricting commissions that are supposed to be nonpartisan there's no such thing as a nonpartisan anything in Redistricting. When we're saying redistricting, we're talking about drawing the districts. Democrats call it gerrymandering, but we're talking about drawing the districts so they're basically fair, so that Republicans have just as fair a shot as Democrats. And what we're finding out today... Well, it's the communities, right? The communities are represented by their ideological equal, right? If you just took sort of a piece of a ruby red place and then inundated it with a urban democratic vote that's not a fair district obviously because it doesn't represent the interests of the people in the ruby red area right so the goal of redistricting is to try to get to a place where the districts represent groups of people communities of people right exactly right. exactly yeah and what what it ended up happening from this is that you get far more left-leaning districts right than you have had at any point in history, and you recall Barack Obama and Eric Holder and everybody else talking about yeah. all through the 2010s. Because because in, in well, and after 2010, we we had a pretty great map, great map. And here's the thing: is so like uh, the research I did is 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 uh, like in, in response to Eric Holder and their shenanigans. There's like Republican redistricting trust is put together who who are supposed to be like the vanguard of of our folks out there making sure that we've got fair maps. And like, there's dropping the ball, bros. Yep. And there's like 209. Right. 209 well, is where we're so, like. So whoever whoever drew the map in Ohio, um, all of our friends who were listening and to like, in the Buckeye State, and the whoever is, drew like, the we've map, had, we've had this circular firing squad of Republicans being like, "It's your fault. It's your fault, dude." We would have had 20 more seats if 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 this black box of a, a Republican redistricting trust had done their job. Well, dude, case in point is in Ohio. There's a guy named Steve Shabbat who's been a congressman since like 1996, except for like one race where he didn't win in a Democratic wave. And he lost. This is this is a suburban Cincinnati Not a district. Democratic area. This is not a Democratic area. It, it, it voted for Biden plus like eight, eight and a half. But it's an, it's an area, it's a seat where redistricting failed the guy it's yeah. it's it's very nutty to me that 
I, as, 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 as a regular dude trying to dig through data, finds that like all roads lead to this like redistricting trust who's, who's I, like I have names of like it's Adam Kincaid and some like random folks who I've never known, never met in charge of, of being our like front line and making sure that we have like a fair redistricting map and we get hosed by 20 seats. The red wave is killed in the cradle. Well, then you also had things like this. And I, I mean, I know my anti Chris Sununu bias has been made clear on the program, but we had situations where like, even where there wasn't a redistricting committee in a state like New Hampshire, where like the state legislature proposes a map, they proposed one in New Hampshire. Yeah, and rejected it. Would have given Republicans. He vetoed it. Right, he vetoed it. Yeah, he vetoed the thing, and then it went to a court. Along with changing the primary. Right. By the way. Right. They would have given a Republican candidate a a puncher's chance. Right. To beat a Democrat. Right. Now maybe in this election it wouldn't have mattered. But well, like we just gave away a seat for the next ten years, a, a real shot at a seat, a real shot. So let's let's walk through a few of these things because you you ought to know what happened here, right? Right? Because there was a bunch of polls that happened uh, in the last two weeks that were presupposing that the last hundred and fifty years of midterms were good evidence, right, to what would happen with a late breaking independent vote, right? And 150 years has only been two occasions where they don't break against the president and the president's party, right? Particularly the case when the president's approval rating is sub 40, uh-huh. the economic approval is sub 40, and the right track, wrong track is in the 30s. Like that is law right. of politics. And, 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 and I would also like to mention, especially for the Democrats who are celebrating today and how great it was, they fucking thought this too. They did. Right? And they were telling every reporter right. in this town, oh, Joe Biden's making it impossible. Yeah, we're going to lose. All the people who are cheering right now and dunking on us and talking about how great of an election they had, they thought they were going down as bad as we did. They thought worse. Yes. They thought I did a couple of panels with Democrats towards the end of the election. They thought they were going to get beat worse. But if you look at the places like where this whole thing went down, right? In Arizona, Republicans performed five percent less and you put this this graphic together duncan five five yeah, five points less than than trump did in the state which uh, is in, in the in the this is the senate race this is the 2020 uh it's 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 2022 versus 2020 yes right these are the senate races in georgia it was less than a point so mm-hmm. it's basically even steven nevada almost two points better right republicans did North Carolina, two points better. Right. Pennsylvania, three points worse. Right. Wisconsin, one and a half points better. Mm. Right. Now you got your, I mean, that's it. That's it. That's overperformance and underperformance in the Senate races across the map, like in, in the most critical ones. And the reason why this is important is because we are stuck with this map in the House. We, these races are on a knife's edge and will be going forward. And I think the most important theme of today's show is competency matters. Competency matters, both on the candidate level, on the campaign level, on the committee level, and everything else. Like, look, if you look at the exit polls, I don't care if you're in Pennsylvania or Nevada. Let's just take Pennsylvania, for example. The plurality of voters who said that inflation in the economy brought them to the poll that day, 
there was still an even Stephen ballot on Republican and Democrat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You think about that. It, crime was the number two issue in Pennsylvania. The choice between these two candidates was very stark on the issue of crime. You had one guy who was all about his entire Literally life. Literally people out of jail. His entire life he spent trying to reduce sentences and let people out of jail and everything else. Like that, that was number two. Right. Right? If you sold your message, and I don't think anybody could ever say that John Fetterman was a better candidate than Dr. Oz. Nobody could ever say that. So if your candidate is better and your message sold and they still voted the other way, as we talked about last week, you got a brand problem. Yeah. You got a real brand problem. It turns out that there are people in the southeastern part of that state, which really you can put in every state in this union because they're the same people everywhere. They have a fear of voting for Republicans. That, my friends, is what needs to change. Like that is the introspection that is necessary here. The reality is, is that that, I'm talking about Chester County, Bucks County, Del- Delaware County. Yeah, Delco. Right? In, in, in Outside of Philadelphia. If you look at the, that population, which for 30 years voted Republican, and then the last six now have voted Democrat, you got to ask why. And, and you know what they say? Hmm. Trump. It's a, yeah. That's what they say. I'm not, that's not what I say. Right. That's what they say. They say that they're It's concerned. sort of a lingering hangover from the Trump era, and, and they want a steady hand on the wheel. They're concerned that by voting for a Republican, you're just enabling another Trump run. That's what they say. That's not what I say. That's all over the verbatims here in, in independents that voted late in Pennsylvania. And if you're, if you're a Republican, you want to ignore that? You're a fucking idiot. You, that is a very, very decisive moment for you. It means, think about this. You got the best brand, you got the best dog food that a dog could eat. Yeah. And if you give it to a dog, they love it. Healthy, everything else is great. But you won't buy it. Why won't you buy it? Because there's something about that brand you don't like. Some information that you don't know that's just like, maybe it's the label, maybe it's something, but it's just, you're not gonna, your dog loves it. It's good for your dog, but you didn't buy it. Yeah. That's what's happening to Republicans in swing states across this country. They are looking at the product. They agree with the product. They say that the inflation is the biggest thing. Crime is second. These are the things that Republicans ran right. on, right? They're concerned about the border. They're concerned about fentanyl. They're concerned about all the things the Republicans were, were saying about, but they will not buy the brand. Right. That's a brand problem. You require a rebrand under that circumstance. In, under a circumstance in which they pull the lever for Fetterman, a guy who can't put two sentences together. Yeah, they, like think, like think about that. Like, you know, we've been going back and forth in just like this internal therapy session in all of our minds here for the last week. And the thing I keep going back to is like, in a, on a night where the majority of Pennsylvanians decide to make Fetterman a senator, we're going to have a bad time. Well, that's so the thing about Pennsylvania is when I see these statistics about the fact that uh, what like half the ballots were cast before, before the, debate. the debate. 
Right. Yeah. Where Dems focus so hard on ballots and not votes, it's that whole dichotomy that I, I'm, I'm like really going on tilt about is like Dem, uh, Republicans keep thinking we, we've got to get out here and, and bank <laughs> votes. we got to convince them. It's like if you see Oz compared to Fetterman, you're going to believe with this. And like, yeah, they agree with it. And Dems are like, we don't care about a message. We just want ballots. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think another thing to think about is like voter enthusiasm. And the fact, like, I really don't believe there's any such thing as a midterm anymore. I really don't. Everything is a national election. I think election. everything is a national election. I think the information that everyone consumes now in the digital era where everybody's a smartphone in their pocket, like, I think Trump pretty much ended a midterm, a sleepy midterm at well, least. Well, dude, let me just look at, this is the exit polls, the official exit polls from the race. 58% of Pennsylvanians had, had an unfavorable opinion of Donald Trump. 40% had a favorable right. opinion of Donald Trump. And like his, his, his disapprove has been underwater, but it hasn't been that bad. And I mean, I guess that brings me to a related point, which is like, is polling broken? Because uh, yeah, cause the polls I mean, polling is, the, is totally fucked. The well, polls like, didn't tell us this, right? The Zoomers showed up. Like the people who graduated on Zoom somehow showed up on election day and voted for the people who did it to them. Well, so, like that should can, scare the shit out of they us. They can TikTok and some dude from culinary is going to show up and be like, I can vote for you, bro. Like, all right, great. <laughs> I want to get back to TikTok. But to, were, to your point, in the same exit poll, mid, the first time midterm voter, Sixty-two, thirty-four, Fetterman. Right, right, and all of the assumptions, all of the models that went into the predictions of what we thought would happen last Tuesday, was based on a turnout percentage of those voters, and it was higher, and we didn't capture it. How the hell are we supposed to capture the, that in the future? Like polling has to have an answer to that the, question. The truth is, the internal polling showed that it was much. Everything across the map was much tighter than the public polling. And well, I yeah. agree with you, Michael. We need to have somebody on. Maybe it's Tom Bevan. We've talked about him before on the show, but somebody to talk about what is the future of polling. What is the outcome of this election mean? I, you know, I, I I agree. I think the polling. I think that there was a number of of outfits that just got it wrong. No question about it. I'm so, Adam Laxalt led in the last five public polls. Yeah, I, like some outside of the margin. Oh yeah, yeah. So for sure. who's going to answer for that? No, I think. I mean, <laughs> look, I think that I think that's right. I think that's right. But it, it, if you look at some of this stuff about late breaking voters for 150 years, right? It's just, it just they everything all was different. went one way. Every everything was just different. In this this one, it went the exact opposite <laughs> way, and it's a brand problem. Right. I mean, right. ultimately, that is the issue that you've got with all of this. Right. Is that if you are agreeing with the candidate, you like the candidate better, you think their message is terrific and you still vote for the other guy. It's because the, the person is fundamentally scared to vote for well, your party. I, I just think like after 2020, there was a theory. I think a theory that I believed in that you could somehow triangulate in a Republican candidate, you know, like Donald Trump's base and reinvigorate those people to vote into a midterm while also being a sort of traditional Republican and yeah. that you would get some sort of Trump plus, you know, some sort of Trump plus electorate to vote for you. I think this election has proved that thesis to be false. I, I just do. I well, mean, like maybe a little bit at the on the margins here, dependent on candidate quality. 
right? Like if you look at the underperformance, overperformance that we laid out here earlier in the show, but I think there's an upper ceiling to it. Unfortunately, I think the data bears that out. I think it's quite clear. I mean, like, look, look back at Pennsylvania, right? Doug Mastriano, you know, the guy who got the doors blown off him in the governor's race. He was the Trumpiest of the Trump guys. And what they kept saying was like, oh, you know, he'll get out the rurals. And like that, in balance with the overperformance of Oz in the suburbs, you know, that's going to get us there. And that ticket's going to run and, you know, basically as a unit. And that, that's how we're going to win Pennsylvania. He got the doors blown off him in the rurals, too. Did you like, see? Like, that's the thing. It's like Oz did better than Mastriano did in the rurals. The most Trump, Trumpy, Trump, Trump governor candidate did worse in the rurals than dr oz yeah and, and and that's where i'm saying the thesis failed michael did you see uh these numbers that showed that if you take out pittsburgh and philly yes mastriano still lost still lost still lost think about that think about that right so candidate quality right which we faced in a number of different places right where you you don't have campaigns that can compete one-to-one with with democratic campaigns i will say this the one thing that i that that is not going to be i mean look for all of you who are sitting at home trying to process all of this probably not all that relevant for for the operatives and the people in office and thinking about running for office this is an incredibly important point republicans will not compete with democrats in swing states as long as their candidates can't raise comparable money. Oh, right, that's right. You just can't. Part of that is that super PACs, as great as they are, and like Mitch McConnell's SLF or whatever spent $300 million trying to patch the gap between the Democratic spending and the Republican spending. And in many cases, like North Carolina and Ohio and Pennsylvania, they were able to do that. Or the or Club for Growth. They spent a ton of money this cycle all over the place. Right, right, right. But, you know. but, but, the, but the point, my point is that you had candidates who were outraising Republican candidates who were working their asses off at a four to five to one clip. Dude, it's even more than four to five to one. It might even be more. More than that. In Arizona. Arizona. Kelly spent $73 million. Blake Masters spent nine. Yeah, in, but I mean, that's, in, that's the in thing. In New Hampshire, New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, $36 million. Don Boldick, $2 million. We, we, if we want to win elections in the future, our candidates have to raise money. They have to, but, they, but it's infrastructure, and it requires leadership, Right. I mean, we all know that like Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell with the super PACs did their job. They raised as much money as they could possibly raise and they tried to even the gaps. And in many cases, they did. And in those places, we won. We won. But the bottom line is, if you don't have committees and campaigns that are absolutely committed to try to figure out how to even that candidate money, you're dead. And, and part of the reason for that is that you guys probably don't know this, but an industry secret is when you run TV ads, for example, in any given state, there is candidate rates and there are super PAC rates, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? This is important info. And the super PAC rates are four times more expensive and they can get 10 times more expensive late in the campaign than the candidate rates, 
right? Yeah. So if you look at like, oh, Republicans spent a hundred million dollars and Democrats spent a hundred hundred million dollars in Arizona or whatever, but if eighty or ninety percent of the Republican money is super PAC money and not candidate money, and in the inverse, the Democrat money is eighty percent, ninety percent candidate money. In fact, when you look at how much that dollar stretches, the Democrats have five times as much on it. They do. That's that's a very important point. Very important. Like, again, to reiterate, candidates are given by by TV stations a candidate rate. So when a sewer pack is is trying to buy time, especially like like Holmes pointed out, especially late in the race. Yeah. Right. They're paying five, six, seven, and like you said, ten times as much as if a candidate were to buy that TV time. So like if a candidate is spending one million dollars for that you can have you have a super PAC that has to pay ten million dollars for the same amount of ads. But ultimately, the problem so like here, if, dude, if the Dems are, are are spending candidate money and they're out raising us like Mark Kelly did, okay, 70, 70 million, right? As opposed to Blake had what nine? Nine. Okay. But the ultimate problem here I mean, is Kelly can Kelly it. can raise twelve, fifteen million dollars a quarter with eighty percent of that money coming from small dollar donors, and that doesn't happen on our side of the ledger. Like that is the number one. Issue. What would happen to our small dollar well, donors, Mike? I mean, we, the, pro- the problem is this cycle we had a a different environment than any cycle in history, and that is we have a former president out there raising small dollar donations every single day. He's like the eight hundred pound gorilla, you know, trying to raise money online. Which, first of all, you know, that's his prerogative. He can do whatever he wants, but he named his pack the Save America Pack, right? He raised a hundred million dollars. He spent what twelve? 12 in these Senate races for all... 17. 17 for all these candidates he he endorsed, right? $100 million? Like, that's the thing, is it's a competitive bidding environment for who you're going to give your dollar to. So you've got all these Republicans... And you have Democrats all rowing in one direction. Right, I mean... That's the thing. It's it's impossible to ignore that as a stat, dude. They they do a great job of funneling their dollars to to put lead on target. Well, let me me just read some of these, right? So, So we said there was a 60... $4 $4 million gap in Arizona, candidate mm-hmm. to candidate, mm-hmm. right? Right. There's like a $30 million gap in Nevada. There's a $34 million gap in New Hampshire. There was a uh, 20, well, basically a a $15 million gap in Pennsylvania. And there was a close to $40 million gap in Georgia, right. candidate this to candidate. Candidate to candidate. Right? You add all those things up, boy, it looks an awful lot like the, what was in Save America back, right? I mean, to be honest with you, you take $100 million out of the ecosystem. If you were to put it back in, um, you're almost at parity, right? Right. I mean, you're getting close, but Republicans need to solve this issue first. Right. This is the this is the issue that you need to figure out, and and just the existence of Donald Trump and complaining about Donald Trump is not enough. Right, and, and that's the thing is, it's like I said, like it is Donald. It, those donors, if they want to give money to Donald yeah, Trump, they're going to do that it. is Donald Trump's prerogative, and he has every right to do it. But it's incumbent on every person who listens to this show, and every all their friends who donate through Win and Win Red and all that sort of stuff to realize. The best way to help our candidates is to donate directly to our candidates. That candidate money is gold. It is so important. Yeah, well, especially when you see some of these splits. And the thing that really pissed me off this week was, it was like, okay, now it's time for Georgia, right? When we still thought Nevada was in play, and it was like, this is going to be for control of the Senate. right? And you saw all these Trump emails go out, and they're like, 
yeah, I, we're going to win this for, for Herschel, donate to Herschel. And then you read the bottom of the email and it's a 90, was a 99 to one or 90, 90, 10 or something 90, like that. 90, 10 split that goes to save America pack. That's not going back into the state of Georgia. That's it. That, in, in my view, that's very deceptive. Right. And, and that has been going on here now for a long time when we dealt with the post-election 2020 issue. Um, there was hundreds of millions of dollars that were raised under the auspices that we were trying to fight for the Senate majority in those two Senate races that never made it. It never showed up in Georgia. It just went to save America. I just think there should be some expectations to like, you know, what are the rules of the road to all of this? Like when it comes to like, collaborating with another candidate and, and doing split fundraising. I mean, my opinion is like, do it 50-50. Like if you're, if you're gonna send out an email on your own list and you wanna get back 50-50, that's fair. I think that's fair. And that's what the Democrats have done forever. Yeah. Forever. That's, their, that's like their rule of That's thumb. like usually their rule of thumb. But to be doing this stuff where you're giving them, you know, 5%, 10%, I mean, if you are going to hoover up half of the Republican ecosystem for two years and then turn around and give the, the one candidate still left on the ballot 10%, I think it's doing a disservice. Well, so, so here, th- that brings us to our next piece of this, which I think is really, really important. Um, the National Republican Senatorial Committee led by Rick Scott. Uh, generally speaking, their job is to do exactly what you just said. Right. To make sure that there is fair play, that their candidates are getting as much money as possible. They decided somewhere along the way that that was not their job, that they would rather hand out silver bowls and placate Donald Trump and do everything else than they would actually do their job. Now, I will say, in that committee, and I've been very critical of that committee, there are people who did do their job. I worked with the guy, Stu Sandler, who's a political director over there. I think he did the best possible job that he could do under the circumstance. I mean, that that's a guy that I had a great working professional relationship when it comes to Nevada. He gave us everything that he could do, and we gave him everything that we could do. So they're not all t- terrible. I think, so, I, think I tweeted, I think I tweeted at Stu and said he said he's going to give me one of the silver bowls. I want one. I think you should get a. I think I you should get a silver bowl. Like I hope he listens. I want one of those. No, but I think that's an important point. But 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 so I want to caveat it right when everybody's so eager to say like everyone sucks. Not everyone sucks. Stu didn't suck. That was my personal experience. Not only didn't suck, like I think he helped a lot. Right, he, he he did everything he could under the circumstance. Under the circumstance, but the point is, is that the circumstance he was given was that the National Republican Senatorial Committee would not try to support these campaigns before they cleared the primary. Mm-hmm. So what we got was a whole bunch of campaigns that were flat-footed as fuck when they exited the primary, and they got their tails kicked in by Democrats as a result. Right. And so then you're like, okay, well, they're not going to do anything before the primary. My experience is over 10 years that you have to in order to win. In 10 and 12, in the infancy of my sort of like becoming a senior advisor to all these things, I watched as we just had a laissez-faire experience with primaries, and we ended up with candidates who lost general elections. We changed the business model in 14. We won. 16, 18, 20. We won with that same business model. Then these guys reverted back to the 2012, 2010, 
model, which is like, I don't know, we'll see what happens and then we'll figure it out. No plan in a statewide uh, race is the worst plan. And here's mm-hmm. the other thing, the, the, the other very critical part of this is, meanwhile, that gap is filled by Chuck Schumer, who spends money trying it, to find the least electable Republican in the primary and will spend more right. than anyone, any candidate, anybody in that race to elect the least Republican candidate or the least electable Republican candidate who ends up getting the nomination, then he can smoke in the general. Yeah. That's like when Chuck Schumer is spending more than our guys, Chuck Schumer is outspending the NRSC, picking well, Republican candidates. Here's, How insane is that? Here's my here's my issue with Rick Scott in the in the committee is, you know, we find out I think like last week or whatever, I think it was maybe it was a Politico piece or something. I think Holmes, you're in it. That Rick Scott this whole time was planning a challenge to McConnell for leader. Like yeah, what, while what while he's supposed to be point? running running this committee to 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 get a Republican Senate majority, that's his plan. And now he's going to spend all this time after the election, an election which we didn't get the Senate majority and talk about how if only we talked more about his plan, we somehow would have won. I mean, the thing like, is, that's, like, it's a National Republican Senatorial Committee. Fucking dude, like, you have hot, one job. You have one job, bro. It's like, like the it's human hot dog meme. It's like, dude, this was your job. And now you're the guy who's going to go out on all the shows and say, oh, gosh, if only people had listened to me. Like, what the fuck, dude? You were in charge of it. What are you talking about? Well, you did it. He's like, oh, I wish every Republicans would have would have put out a plan. They did. Do you know? And you know what? You did. You did put out a plan. And Rick, I hate to tell you, it ran against every Republican in every swing state in the country. But uh, no, what, the I guess Democrats, what I, Democrats spent millions of dollars that's the thing against is, do you know his how, plan, raising taxes, it, you know eliminating ins- Social Security, and Medicare. How insane I felt looking through data this past weekend and seeing in Republican primaries the top spender is Chuck Schumer. Yeah, Chuck Schumer. Outspending any Republican campaign to pick his handpicked Republican candidate to beat him in the general? Rather than Rick Scott doing it. What I don't understand is Rick Scott saying that, saying, if only we had done this, doing the Monday morning quarterback like he wasn't the quarterback, like he wasn't running the committee. If he thinks something should have gone differently, if he didn't like you know, the situation, he had some control. There was some agency that he had as the chairman of the committee. But but you're, you're 100% right. But like what people don't get is the fact, like they all think because McConnell's been around there forever that he just sort of calls the shots. Bottom line is that this dude aced out anybody. Like they were just going to run their own show. They were going to change the budgeting of the NRSC entirely. They were going to invest all of their high-dollar proceeds into a low-dollar program, and they were going to have a $100 million IE. They, they didn't raise $100 million. They raised, like, three. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it, it, didn't, it didn't work. And so, it, rather than having any accountability on it, it's all a PR program. But I'm, like, like here's, let's take New Hampshire, for example. Yeah. Right? So, New Hampshire, SLF comes in post-primary and spends $20 million for Don Bullduck. I'm reliably told the first two weeks of that buy, they actually had big progress in Hassan's image. Like it, 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 it moved numbers, moved significant numbers. So yeah. they were in for a third week. And then the third week, it actually bounced the other way. 
and where it bounced the other way, the, the numbers in New Hampshire that SLF had were actually the election day numbers. It was like a nine, 10 point race. Yeah. And they were like, well, we got to jump out of that. We, this, is, this, is, this isn't going to work. We're not moving numbers anymore. Right. The NRSC, which had previously three weeks prior pulled all $9 million of their spending that they had reserved in the race. They pulled it. Prior yeah, they, to this, they so they canceled their spending. They too. canceled their spending, but because it was a McConnell line right. pack, then sensed the opportunity and jumped in for a five hundred thousand dollar hybrid buy, and then started criticizing McConnell right. for New Hampshire. See, that's the going thing. The wrong way. How do you like, a, how do you square sport. how do you square the Monday morning quarterbacking? Aw, shucks! If only I was given a chance with that sort of underhanded bullshit. You can't. You, you can't. That's the thing. Is that at, at every turn with these guys, with these fucking guys, they their job as they saw it was to try to promote Rick Scott. Right and draw a contrast with the Senate Republican Conference not to win Senate elections. So if you look at the way that that whole thing went down, New Hampshire is a perfect example. They didn't believe in it. They dropped, they pulled $9 million out three weeks before the SLF. But did. they would do a hybrid uh, hybrid ad just so they could have a little contrast. And then contrast. do a bunch of press in the yeah. conservative press about how they were trying to save the day, right? And as it turned out, the numbers that they had three weeks prior and the ones that SLF had that caused them to pull the money we're right, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so their plan was no plan. Their plan was all this PR plan, which is the exact same contrast. thing. Which is the exact same thing that's happening with this. Oh, let's delay the leadership vote in the Senate. Yeah. It's all just a pl- a play to lose, so that they can go complain in conservative press about what an evil guy Mitch McConnell is. Like I think our listeners are being fucking played by this guy in this whole operation. And I think this is something that has happened forever. And I think people need to get wise to it, is that there's a whole bunch of people in the conservative movement who don't actually put points on the board. They lose on purpose so they can go whine and complain in conservative press about how the establishment failed them. Yep. No, I mean, just look at where the points are on the board. It's the first NRSC in modern memory, it's 10 years plus, that's raised less dollars than their predecessors at the the previous NRSC, right? I mean that that's just a real fact. Bro, that's I saw, not, bro, that's I, not, I saw this article that said that Rick Scott was on a yacht like a week before the election. Is this shit true? No, he's in in, in August. In when August, they yeah. when they when they pulled. But that's real. When they pulled all of their reservations from all the states that we're talking about, he was on a yacht in Italy. Yeah, that shit makes me mad. That's a fact. That's a fact. But the but we, nobody wants to talk. He about He was literally this shit. he was on a legit yacht. Yeah, in election season. But nobody wants to talk about this, right? Everyone wants to pretend like it's it's. Oh, what could we? Oh, what did Mitch McConnell do to lose this? You know, or what did like? At some point, people are going to find out what like, it's during like election to not season, have responsible people in charge, it's, right? It's, and that is not going to be a good thing for it, Republicans. It's so Party. irritating during election season. I'm trying to like organize, like you know, we got to get these ground teams. We're, we we have our listeners who are the best people in the world setting up these like phone bank teams to to try and figure out what's the like closest race. Where can we put like lead on target? And this dude's on a fucking yacht, dude. Yeah, is it, I mean, that's just the facts. That's just the facts. And 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 look. Did Rick Scott lose every one of these Senate races? No. 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 No, he wasn't involved enough to be 
uh, accountable for all the losses. I think that's fair. That's a, <laughs> honestly that's a fair that's a fair point. But but the the biggest issue is that if your plan is no plan, which is what his plan was, if your plan to win races is no plan, things will always end up poorly. The only way Republicans win contested purple states in this country is if you are all aligned from moment one and you just drive that fucking train as fast as you possibly can, right? We all know it because we've all been a part of it. But the fact that there was a huge distinction into how you go about executing this plan and that one team basically felt like, I don't know, we'll just figure it out. The environment will take us over the top. That tells you everything you need and to know. And the thing is that, like, at the same time, Chuck did not wait for 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 the conditions to be like, where am I going to like meet them on the battlefield? He set the battlefield. Dude, it's and here's the thing: is like it's when not- he's spending in Republican primaries. First off, that should be such a fucking huge tell, especially going forward. It's not just it's not just swing districts and Senate seats though. Too like the guy in Washington three, Joe Kent. That is an R plus thirteen district. And he's going to lose. That is a clown fucking performance. There's clown. A diff- there's a difference when you're talking about like Oz losing a D plus two state. Right. Or like, you know, Laxalt in a D plus three state or, you know, even Masters in a D plus one or two state. Facing huge, 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 huge and, fundraising. And, 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 right. And also to explain what a D plus three or an R plus 13 is like in a previous presidential election, what percentage of the vote did one party get more than the other? So like this is a district where Republicans got 13% more of the vote. Like this one shouldn't even be a question. Like no. I, if you wouldn't have said a word, if you would have put two names on a ballot, like you Manhattan. didn't spend a single dime and you never showed your face in public, you'd win. Right. 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 And he's going to lose it. And like this guy's like the Trumpiest of the Trumpy guys. And God bless him f- for putting his name on the ballot. Like, I don't want to like put him through the ringer. But like, there are people who are going to say, oh, well, the establishment failed him. And it's like, at some point, it's the candidate's fault. At some point, right? Like, yeah, a, a, dude, in like a, an R plus 13. Uh, like, that says something. Like, like when the NRCC and CLF are making decisions about where they want to spend money, like, there are races that they took down and have taken down and that over the past few days we've seen have been won by Republicans. We got an Oregon seat. That was a Dem seat. Where okay, so so here's the beauty of this, this is Oregon, Oregon five. Did you see yeah. this? Did you see the story on this? So they had uh, a primary where uh, you know, like super far left were like this person is not sufficiently yeah, crazy so this live is enough. Kurt, Kurt so to give the background, I actually worked on this race for CL, for CLF. I on want, the this story is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So Kurt Schrader, the Democrat who had represented that district for a while, um, was beaten in the primary by Jamie McLeod Skinner, this progressive activist who had run a couple of times in Oregon, but had also previously been an elected politician in California. Right. And she beats him in the primary. And this is the thing is like they ran her on basically being like this Oregon congressman is not far left enough. Right. Right. They were like, we have to go full on straight up insane out left. And and, I mean, the problem. But we we beat her. We beat her. And that's the thing. what, What kind of a candidate did Republicans run in order to beat a Democrat in Oregon, Michael? Lori Chavez-Dreamer, um, it's like a small business owner sort of 
you know, had a really nice profile. Her ads were good. You know, her team. I did not know you were involved in that. Yeah, her team. Her team killed it. She Ult- was like the most normal candidate yeah. I've seen in my life. Who is like competency matters, dude. No, competency matters. That's the whole theme of this show. She legit is like the person in front of me in the line at the grocery store. And like they, I would have never thought this is a candidate. And they ran a competent campaign. And the thing that really hurt Jamie McLeod Skinner at the end was the California stuff. It was, you know, That's it was good. it was it was tent cities in California. It was. You know, don't let her trash Oregon was basically the closing message on the Super PAC side uh, for CLF. And it paid off. And here's the thing is like if CLF, you know, didn't make those investments in places like New York in Oregon, mm-hmm. in California, folks, we might not have a majority at all. at all that's the thing is like so clf and rcc are trying to like spend money in these places that are like uh, like like you said constant was on and he said that like we would only have 208 seats if if or or 209 if we had just trump districts for house so they're trying to play in places that are like d plus two three four you know right places that like okay we can we can get that so like for an r plus 13 for for anyone to, to be like, that, yeah, like, why didn't like a no super pack? Oh, we up. didn't get the help we needed. Let, let me just tell you. Let me just tell you. If you if you work on an R plus thirteen race and you lose it in this environment, you let everybody the fuck down. You should get out of politics. If I lost an R plus thirteen state or district, you'd never fucking see my face again. I would be humiliated. Imagine. I would never get over it. I would be I would be so agonized that I let this country down that you would never see my I face again. I, 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 imagine, I imagine losing a Senate race in Mississippi. <laughs> That's, That's basically the same thing. Yeah. It is. It's basically the same thing. It's basically the same thing. But these guys who do it, and you can look at the FEC reports and see, like I got this guy, Alec Bruschewitz, who's like barking at me on Twitter about all, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've won more races in the last six months than that guy's ever been on in his entire life. Like that guy is a fucking clown. He's a 25-year-old clown, and he signs up for these races. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's like a MAGA Twitter influencer. So he signs up, and they go do this this r plus 13 race and promptly fucking lose it for the country no, they blew it. so like congratulations america you're going to be beset with like inflation and open borders and everything else because of the existence of these fucking dickheads and i can't stand <laughs> it i literally can't stand yeah. it dude yeah. our, our like i cannot reiterate what an r plus 13 district looks like like I think everyone there like has barbecue for dinner every night and they got open carry. Like R plus thirteen is legit like Shangri La. Like that is the dream. An R plus thirteen district is like Democrats if someone publicly identifies as a Democrat, they're running out of time. Or look at lo- so look at Lauren. This this is the only one of one of the only districts in the state of Oregon that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump. Twice. And yet this guy fucked it up i mean right bobert's another one Bo- right there's bobert still- i mean it's a it's a i think it's an r plus seven or something like like is it that. really yeah yeah i mean it's not nearly as as, dude, as I, red i hope to got you wins dude because like what the fuck right but like, like we can't lose again to the theme of today's show competency matters it just matters it, it it really does and people are in a different place if you look at what happened in florida and georgia with the governor's race and nearly the entire rest of the country, there's a real distinction there, 
right? You're going to have to have, it's not enough. They bought the message. Voters, this is my takeaway from the entire election. They bought the message. They don't like Joe Biden. They don't want Joe Biden back. They think the right track, wrong track. They, they hate the direction of this country. They think that inflation is a huge problem. It, it, it actually causes them big problems, but yet they didn't vote for the generic Republican on the ballot. And the reason for that, let's be real honest, is they don't trust Republicans. Unless you have a brand like Ronnie D, right. Brian Kemp. Like separate up from Donald Trump yeah. entirely. In fact, the people who took on Donald Trump directly, Kemp mainly, like went like ran away with it. Ran away with it. Ran away. And with for it. the rest of our candidates who who didn't have either the money or the name ID to be their own person, Donald Trump, you know, hung around their neck like a millstone. Yeah. At least at least for a, enough of the electorate that it mattered. You know, just a small, all it took is a little bit, a little bit, and we couldn't get home so many places. Totally. I so mean, hindsight is 2020, uh, 20, but it sucks that, like, we saw so much polling on issues of, like, voters say, yes, inflation sucks. Voters say, yeah, this administration is doing a bad time. But we didn't cross-reference that with, like, okay, but do you trust the Republican brand enough? Because we need independent voters. And, and clearly, it. independent voters said that they don't trust Republican brand. And it's even Republican voters, to be honest with you. It's even it's even center right Republican voters that that took a walk. So look, I think in the end of the day, as we look at this election and at, as it casts forward in what we're supposed to do, it does not change our point of view on what needs to happen with this country. Everybody's going to say like, "Oh, abortion! You should all become pro-choice." That's not it. Right? That's not it. No. There was this disadvantage in a lot of states on that issue, no question about no it. No question. No question about it. But the issue set sold overall. The problem is if you have a party that people don't trust, that people think they can do like fucking weird, bizarre things and, and just be like sort of bizarre human beings. If you're holding rallies with Steve Bannon in the last weekend before your election. Which is what Carrie Lake did. In a state. Which I, which to your credit, you called it and I didn't think it would matter. I mean, I really didn't, but you called it. You called it, dude. I mean, like you close, you close a general election campaign with crazy and this is what happens. You come up short. This is what happens. This is what happens. So anyway, that's where we're at. Uh, I got one more issue set that I want to hit here because you guys, this is going to be a little bit more fun than the full hand-wringing session we just did. But it's not fun in the grand scheme of things because what if I told you that the largest funder of Democratic midterm campaigns efforts was actually a Bernie Madoff? Hmm. Wait, you're kidding me. It was just hmm. one of them? Hmm. So, so, so this is a topic I've been so like I've been going ham about for folks who are not on Twitter, uh, uh, for for whatever reason. Don't follow me. This to me uh, at my weekend of research and such. Um, for folks who are not in the know, there's a gentleman, uh, Sam Bankman Freed, who about a week ago had a net worth between fifteen and twenty billion. It's estimated. Uh, he, he ran, and you've been on this dude for a while. You, you've yes, been mentioning uh, this guy. For, we haven't talked to him on, uh, on the program because I was like, God, he's just one of those libs. Like, who cares? Yeah. But but you've been on this thing I've for had, a while. I've had a problem with this guy for a while. Like, you know, uh, before our show, I would always and, – and, and the issues that I discussed of, like, through the grapevine. So I, I will walk people back from square one. So 
this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, runs this uh, or ran this cryptocurrency exchange called FTX, right? And you may have seen it from Super Bowl ads uh, with like Tom Brady and Giselle oh, and yeah. like, a bunch of other folks and, and Larry David and such. Um, so how, how did it work? If I wanted to buy Bitcoin, would I yep. download an app from FTX and yep. I'd buy Bitcoin through FTX? That's exactly it. It would be the same thing as like, you know, if, if, if someone would go to like Charles Schwab or, or whatever your broker is to buy a stock is the same way that you could go on FTX and you could buy yourself a cryptocurrency of your okay. choice, right? Um, and uh, what I had heard through the grapevine for a while now is like, okay, so before Sam started FTX, this exchange, you know, you can think of it as just like, you know, uh, if you place an order, they will find, you know, match that order. Uh, he also ran a, a prop trading prop uh, you know, when you're trading for yourself, a company called Alameda Research, which is essentially a hedge fund focused on cryptocurrency. And he started that before he started FTX. And uh, its current leadership as of until shit hit the fan was an ex-girlfriend. Um, which is like Seriously? already like if anyone could do their due diligence in this space is like come on dude you, okay already red flags but anyways so uh sam is having a great time he's getting a lot of money from i think sequoia like a bunch of like you know a bunch of in my opinion you gotta be dumb money to give a person like this money but anyways he he gets a valuation personally of like 15 to 20 billion dollars and he what does he do with this he gives an absolute tidal wave of money to Democrats. He was the number two donor to Joe Biden behind, uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Soros? George Soros. Yeah, another guy who, who, who likes crushing people on currency. Um, he funds he, he, he funds every left-wing super It was like PAC. $45 million or something I like mean, that. it's an absurd amount of money that he gave. He was the single largest donor to the DNC uh, I believe in the month of May, and he 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 wired them so much money they had to give some of his money back because he exceeded <laughs> the amount of money that they can take in. Like he was giving that much money to these left wing organizations. Uh, if Nancy, you look at this dude, this dude looks like everything you wanted him to look like. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this asshole is unbelievable. He's like a fine a finance. Uh, Cabbage Patch Kid. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does not strike you as an individual who trusts your money, but he does, for Democrats he was giving money to, strike you as an individual that, like, yes, I will take your 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 money uh, and and uh, into my super PAC. Like, Nancy Pelosi took... Uh, I, I, okay, so so this is straight from a Bloomberg article. It says, uh, House Majority PAC, the super, uh, super Political Action Committee of House Democrats, counted the CEO of crypto exchange FTX as its biggest donor in April. Bankman-Fried gave it $6 million of the 9.8 it raised. So this guy is not Two just Two thirds like, of their money. Yeah, that much money is what he is giving. Now, the question is, where's this money coming from? And, and listener, I'm very happy you ask. Because this is why he's in legal problems. Oh my God. This is money that people are, are giving him to buy cryptocurrency. This is client money <laughs> that he's just like giving away. You're incredible. You're kidding. This is what's nutty. It's like, imagine if you go to your bank and you deposit money. You know, it's like, okay, here's here's my paycheck. And they're like, okay, thank you. And they just like take your money and they're like, now I'm going to donate this for favors. Oh. oh my God. That's what he did. So like the money directly is going from clients to like Nancy Pelosi's super PAC and to Joe Biden's 
presidential campaign. Like none of the stories that you're seeing in the media, while they're all like, oh, it's crazy. This like cryptocurrency company collapsed. They never list that like one of Biden's largest donors is in fact currently, uh, to my understanding, and 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 there's these uh, you know you've seen these accounts online that follow individuals' private jets. Well, Sam's has gone to like Argentina, <laughs> but apparently he wasn't on it or whatever. I don't know. There's there's a lot of like a lot of going on. There's but, a lot of questions about like was he on this plane? Yeah. Or was he on a second private plane? Like, and then here's the other thing is so um, there's there's this issue with this company where Arrival Binance, who is the the biggest exchange in the game basically said that we have lost confidence in 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 ftx and i'll spare everyone how you know a margin call works and if you have equity in a company whatever as an investor but they basically are like we don't trust these people they sound sketchy and ftx starts falling apart and within a matter of 72 hours uh sam bankman fried goes from having a 15 billion dollar net worth to having a zero zero dollar net worth (laughs) and getting on a private plane apparently Meanwhile, here's the thing. So I think what's important from all of this, you know, uh, esoteric information is you had a situation. I think Bernie Madoff is a perfect comparison where Bernie Madoff basically took client money and spent it as he wished. Right. Which is exactly what happened here. And as Sam wished was to give it to Democrats a significant amount. He even was on record as saying he'd be willing to spend as much as one billion dollars to, to, to help Joe Biden in 2024. But I think it's I think it's even more pervasive. And look, you're the expert on this. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. But what it occurred to me while watching this guy's strategies, obviously a committed liberal, so I you know, he gives money to Democrats and what have you. But what what it looked like to me, because he had two Oval Office meetings in the spring of this year. And what he was going up there to do was advocate for more regulation on his own industry. Hmm. Because it's it's regulatory mm-hmm. capture. Mm-hmm. He wanted to cut anyone else from competing. Right. So right. so but this is a perfect example of today's Democratic Party. You become too big to fail and then you want regulation that basically guards anybody else's ability to play in your world. Right? So this guy became such a massive cryptocurrency trader and his company did, that he wanted to create rules so only his company and the size of his company could deal with the regulatory burden that it sort of had on it. Right. So nobody else could come in and and compete. That is today's Democratic Party yep. in a nutshell. It's, it's, it is a massive group of corporate interests that are trying to lock out any competition, any opposing voice, and control the entire system from top down. Um, and I, I bring up the, the Bernie Madoff example specifically because with Bernie Madoff, there was this individual who was appointed Irving Picard as the recovery trustee, where basically he had to comb through the books and go through every account ledger and find out where the money meant, who got the money, and claw that money back for the victims. And I think this is going to be a situation, it should be a situation where all of this money, because this is ill-gotten gains. The money that he gave to Pelosi, ill-gotten gains. The money he gave to Biden, ill-gotten gains. There should be a special counsel. There should be a recovery trustee who claws this money back from all those Dems, from all their campaign committees, who researches all where the money, there should be so many investigations, where the money go, where's the money, 
pull back the money well, and it should it. be distributed because the thing is that like FTX didn't just screw uh, like Madoff you know it's a hedge fund so the people that he screwed over had to have at least you know basically you know uh, qualified uh, one million liquid right to be right. invested FTX someone who's like I've got I've 15 got grand yeah <laughs> I've got I've got $500 I'm ready to roll with robbed right so this is a situation where you have so many everyday Americans screwed by this swindler, dude. Well, I just and I, and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden have taken their money, spent it on getting elected. That money needs to be clawed. I just back. think I just think about this like look, this is gonna sound a little bit conspiracy e, but like I think about. You know what? Like, what this would all look for like? Me, conspiracy theories are basically spoiler warnings. Yeah. So why, why didn't this? <laughs> but, but, why but, didn't this? Why didn't this come to light over the summer? Yeah. Well, I, I, this is my point. Is well, like the election hadn't gone down yet. What if a Republican? They weren't done counting the votes. Congress or president won a election that mm-hmm. was entirely unforeseen. You found out their biggest financier was running a Ponzi scheme in order to fund it. What what do you think the news would be talking about? We'd be reading about nothing else, nothing else. And can I can I just can can I use that as a sag to something that I think is very important yep. for people yeah, to hear? Yeah, yeah. So our friends at the Media Research Center, yep, uh, looked at the partisan breakdown of mainstream media coverage of elections this cycle, and the results may not surprise you. <laughs> okay, it turns out between September first uh, and October twenty sixth of this year the big three evening newscasts aired 115 stories on the midterm elections and found that republicans are receiving coverage that is 87 percent negative 87 percent 87 percent negative now these are organizations that have the uh, the american public ostensibly providing them with a license to broadcast as as uh, independent arbiters of of what is the news in this country, but it, you might ask yourself, what were the dominant topics for campaign stories in the news? Republican candidate controversies was a dominant topic. <laughs> Abortion, danger of election deniers, was perfectly matched to the topmost items on the Democrats' campaign playbook. I mean, you can kind of understand what we're up against, right? But it's why, look, you can't hate the player, you gotta hate the game, and you gotta hate the game, you gotta hate the player. I mean, like, from my standpoint, this is the game. You already know that these people are out against you. You have to be that much better than Democrats. For those of us who sit around and whine, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that makes me more pissed off than watching a losing candidate go on primetime television and cry about all of the reasons why they lost. Fuck you. We all put your our faith and trust in you. We put we put money into your campaign account. I don't want to hear for a second why it is that you couldn't get it done. Like there may be very good reasons why you couldn't get it done, but that's not the point. You're yeah, at me, that like, point at the end of it, you didn't get it done. The purpose, right? Of, if you, if you lose as a candidate, you, number one, and I think honestly, all of your focus should be on thanking voters, mm-hmm. totally, mm-hmm. yes, volunteers, yeah. Like, the, right now, the message across the board should be gratitude. Gratitude. Because our folks showed up. But the whining and crying as if everybody is so disenfranchised. Like, there's not, no candidate has franchise. They couldn't ever possibly win but for the spending of somebody else or but for the decision making mm-hmm. of somebody else. 
it, it is the cancer that resides within our party right. that needs to be stripped out because unless we have people like Ron DeSantis, I'll add, right? right? And this is not right. like an endorsement. This is just an observation of the obvious. This is a guy who doesn't talk about why he can't. This is a guy who does. Right. And unless you have people who operate that way within the Republican Party, we are destined for generation after generation of disappointment. Right. We all failed. Now get in the boat, grab an oar. And grab let's an all oar. let's all fucking row. Get your ass off the shore. Let's go. Stop talking about the weather. Let's go. The last <laughs> thing is is we're blessed. Our listeners are the people. Yeah. Who have been in the boat. Oh, our people have had the oars in their hand. Yeah. Yeah, we're the, we're the, we're oh God, it's just it's a pleasure to be with all of you. Thank you for everything you've done. Uh, we're still getting over it, as you might imagine, but we're going to be a lot more upbeat here. We'll still be come. here. Again, thank you so much to all our listeners for volunteering, putting in the work. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. 